Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest completes his series, Fruit and Gifts. All right, praise the Lord. We're continuing our series this morning on fruit and gifts, and this will be the last message in the series. You know, last week we took a break from the series to hear the awesome testimony of Philip and Tara Barbie, how they came to this church, how they came to be our youth pastors. It's an awesome testimony. So if you haven't heard it, you can go to our homepage at GoFaithLife.com, hit the podcast link there. It'll take you to our podcast, and you can see where it says, Welcome our new youth pastors, Philip and Tara Barbie. I recommend that you listen to it. It'll really build your faith. Amen. All right, but before we pick up where we left off with the nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit, I want to review one more time our foundational scripture on the fruit of the Spirit. And it is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and the first part of 23. And this will be in the New King James Version. All the versions will be New King James, unless I tell you otherwise, because we are going to use some other translations as we move through this teaching. Galatians 5.22 and 23, the first part of 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you'll remember, we made the case that if born-again believers don't develop the character that springs from the fruit of the Spirit that lives on the inside of you, if you don't learn how to walk in love, then you're not going to be very effective operating in the supernatural gifts of God. Amen? The Apostle Paul reiterates this truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call it the love chapter. And this is my paraphrase, but Paul says in effect, that the gifts of the Spirit have to be administered in love or you're wasting your time and just making noise. Amen. Another way of saying it is this. The fruit and the gifts of the Spirit have to flow together if we want to be effective in the supernatural realm in our life in ministry. Amen. One of the things you always have to remember about the gifts. The gifts are not your opportunity to show people how spiritual you are. The gifts are administered in love to help hurting people. Amen. All right, so let's dig back into the nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit. You find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Sad to say, many... I would say most in the body of Christ are completely ignorant when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. But God is saying here through His man, the Apostle Paul, this is not what pleases God. He wants the people of God to understand and know what the gifts of the Spirit are all about because they are an extension of His love to a hurting humanity. All right, skip down to verse 7. Talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Verse 7 says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That means if the gifts are flowing the way that they should be flowing, everyone will benefit, everyone will profit. 
Verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, we've been emphasizing this, and I think it bears repeating. Verse 11 is very important. It says that the gifts of the Spirit are distributed as the Holy Spirit wills. It's at his discretion who he uses in a particular gift at a particular time. You can't manufacture a gift of the Spirit just because you want to operate in that gift. If you try, you will make yourself a fool and you'll regret it. So, it turns out that it's a good thing to categorize the gifts of the Spirit according to their characteristics and their functions so that we can better understand how they operate. There are nine gifts mentioned here in verse 8 through 10, which we just read. And these nine gifts can be categorized in three categories, three gifts in each category. Revelation gifts, that is word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, which we've already covered. Power gifts, gifts of healings, gift of faith, working of miracles, which we've also covered. And then vocal, sometimes called inspirational gifts, that is tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. That's what we're going to zero in on today. You find the vocal gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, I want to direct your attention to something about the text here. Notice that different is in italics. That means that the translator added the word for clarity. It was not in the original text. Okay? But you really don't need it because the word there translated kinds means diversities. So you could say to another diversities of tongues. And that says to me that tongues operates in many different ways. It is a very diverse gift. I've been praying in tongues for 48 years and I can tell you I have not exhausted my knowledge on how this gift can operate. It is amazing. It is amazing. All right. So the definition of the gift of tongues or diversities of tongues is this. The gift of tongues is the ability to speak in a language that you never learned, whether that language is earthly or heavenly. Let me say that again. It's real simple. The gift of tongues is the ability to speak in a language that you never learned, whether that language is earthly or heavenly. First thing I want you to know about tongues, there's a lot we can say about it, but the first thing I want you to know is that on the day of Pentecost, tongues was a sign to the unbelieving Jews from all over the known world that were there for Pentecost. It was a sign that God was moving in the midst. Amen? Let's pick it up at Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 4. In the NIV, now I normally don't use the NIV because I know it's got problems. 
I call it the nearly incomplete version. <laughs> Because it leaves verses out of the Bible, and that really aggravates me. But some of the ways they say things I like, especially here in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 4. It says, all of them. Now, let me give you a little background if you're not familiar. Jesus told his believers before he ascended to the Father, wait for the promise of the Father. So 120 believers are in the upper room. They're praying. They're seeking the Lord. And all of a sudden, a rushing mighty wind pours out the Holy Spirit on that room. And 120 people began to speak with other tongues. There were tongues of fire on their heads. And the glory of God was on them. So that's where we're picking it up here in verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amen. Isn't that cool? Now, here's what I believe was happening here. Hear me out. It wasn't that the believers who got filled with the Spirit were speaking in the languages of all these people from all over the world. No, I believe each of them was worshiping God with their personal prayer language, which in my experience is predominantly a heavenly language, not an earthly language. Nevertheless, it says that these Jews from all of these lands that came for the festival of Pentecost heard them in their own language. Okay, now this has happened to me several times. Once I was praying in tongues with a group of Bible students back in Shreveport, Louisiana, and someone there was able to hear what I was praying. And they told me later that I was worshiping Jesus lavishly in Spanish with a Puerto Rican dialect. Now, I know what my tongues sounds like. And I know what Spanish sounds like. I may not understand it, but I know what it sounds like. And I was not speaking Spanish words, but he heard it in Spanish with a Puerto Rican dialect. So what is going on there? It was a sign to that young man that God was moving and operating through me, that I could be trusted as an agent of the Holy Spirit, as a follower of the Father God. It was a sign to him. At our old facility in Monkey Junction, we were having a prayer meeting and uh, somebody there heard me praying in tongues and later told me every time you would start praying in tongues, I heard it in French. I speak French. I heard you speak in French. I know what French sounds like and my language does not sound like French. So what was happening is my personal prayer language going forth to the father. She heard it in French, even though I didn't say it in French. All right, now, Joe, I need you to correct me on this if I got it wrong. But on two occasions here in this facility during Wednesday night prayer, right here at Faith Life Fellowship, I was praying in tongues and my son-in-law back there in the sound booth heard it in Spanish and then translated it to English and told me afterwards what I was saying. What is that? 
it's a sign to my son-in-law that his father-in-law is following the Spirit of God, amen, is being moved by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is moving through him, and he could be trusted. It was a sign, amen. Isn't that cool? Listen, this is a legit gift. This is not, this is not made up. This is not poppycock. This is not passed away. This is a legit gift that manifests to those who believe it will manifest. Amen. All right, so the other thing I want you to know about tongues is it's a sign that a person has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere in the Bible where people got filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says they spoke with other tongues. There's five places in the book of Acts where people got filled with the Holy Spirit. Three of them, it explicitly states that they spoke with other tongues. Two of them, you can infer with a little bit of research that they did. Amen. Everywhere people get filled with the Holy Spirit, you find in the Bible, they become tongue talkers sooner or later. Amen. All right. So I really can't go into that in detail, but I did have a three part series that I did back in June called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, part one, two and three. If you want to go back to the podcast and listen to that, I go into great detail about the gift of tongues. And I mentioned five reasons that every believer should be praying or speaking in tongues. Now, I'm going to borrow two of those reasons because they're very germane to what we're talking about today. Number one, speaking in tongues is a gift of God that is available to all spirit filled believers. He doesn't give it to one and not to another. It's not that kind of gift. It is available to all spirit filled believers. Amen. The Apostle Paul devoted three chapters in the first letter that he wrote to the Corinthians on the topic of the gifts of the Spirit. So even though he didn't write it in chapters, the translators gave it to us in chapters to help us organize his thoughts. Okay? But you can see from the amount of material that he spends on the gifts of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul spent a large portion of his first letter to the Corinthians teaching them on the gifts of the Spirit. Part of the reason for that was he said in the very beginning of the letter, you come behind in no gift. In other words, they were very gifted. They were very much operating in the gifts of the Spirit, but they were out of control. And he wrote the letter to bring them back into control. He said at the very end of chapter 14, do not forbid to speak with tongues, but do all things decently and in order. Amen. There has to be an order about the way that you use and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. So in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the nine gifts of the Spirit, which we're talking about here today. In chapter 13, we call it the love chapter, but it's actually a chapter devoted to how the gifts have to be administered in love. And then chapter 14, the whole chapter is about three gifts. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy, which is what we're talking about here today. So I want to start the lesson by reading the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in the English Standard Version. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 through 5 in the English Standard Version. Verse 1 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So once again, right here off the bat, the first thing that Paul emphasizes when he begins to talk about gifts of the spirit is, first of all, pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, it is right 
to desire to be used by the spirit in the gifts. Amen. As long as you realize that they're going to be distributed to you as he wills. Then the other thing that he says is the greatest thing you should aspire to do when it comes to the gifts is prophesy. And we'll find out why later. Amen. Verse two says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So let me just break this down for just a second. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. How many know when you're speaking to God, that is prayer. So this is talking about a type of tongues that's devoted to prayer. Okay. In fact, the whole subject of verses one through five is about prayer tongues. Okay, so you got to keep that in mind as we move along. So here in verse two, we see that the primary purpose of tongues is prayer to God. Many people call it a prayer language. God understands the mysteries that are being uttered, but generally speaking, no one else does. Okay, sometimes when you're praying in the spirit, you understand what you're saying. Most of the time you don't, but it's okay. Verse three, on the other hand, The one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The King James Version says for their edification, exhortation and comfort. Here, Paul explains that prophecy is spoken not to God, but to people. And it's normally delivered in a language that everybody understands. And its primary purpose is to edify or build up the people of the church. Verse four, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Amen. I want to direct your attention to that term builds up. It is translated from a compound Greek word called echo domeo, echo domeo. It means to build the house, to build the house. So he's saying here, when you pray in the Holy Spirit personally, you're building up your house. Spirit, soul, and body. And that is a good thing. But when you prophesy, you echodomeo the church. You build up the people of the church. Spirit, soul, and body. Okay? So it's not wrong. It is not wrong to edify or build yourself up. It's just better in a public setting if you prophesy for the building up of all those around you. Everybody understand that? All right, verse five. Now, this is the bombshell verse. Okay, so listen carefully. This is why I love the English Standard Version. Verse five says, now I want you all to speak in tongues. Got quiet in this Presbyterian church. (laughs) Let me say that again. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So if you believe this is God's word to you and God's word to me, then I think you can plainly see that God says, I want all my believers to speak in tongues. It's right there in the text. All he's saying is when it comes to this prayer tongues, I'd rather you not use that in a public setting unless you're willing to believe me to be used in the gift of the interpretation of tongues, then it's okay. Then 
tongues plus interpretation essentially equals or is equivalent to prophecy. So what he's trying to say is that this personal prayer language is primarily a devotional uh, language that you use between you and God. It doesn't mean you can't do it in church. Let me correct that right now. Whether it's in private or in corporate setting, you can pray and worship to the Lord in tongues and it's okay. How many know God does not need an interpretation of any language, whether it's earthly or heavenly? But the moment you turn that tongues into an address of a public assembly, Paul says, the Holy Spirit says, you have to interpret. Someone has to interpret. Now I'm going to share a real quick story about how I learned my lesson on tongues and interpretation. Trisha and I were in Corpus Christi, Texas. We were at a Bible study. It was a very small, informal Bible study. There might have been 10 or 12 people there. We were all in a circle. Back in those days, the charismatics, it was mandatory. You had to stand in a circle. You just did. Okay. Holding hands was optional, but you had to stand in a circle. And usually somebody that needed prayer was in the middle of the circle. <laughs> and everybody was laying hands on them. But we were just praising God in tongues. We were worshiping the Lord in tongues. And all of a sudden, I just felt motivated to give a message to the group in tongues. Man, I was just bowed up and I just went after it, you know. Let her rip tater chip. And then I just sat back and I said, okay, somebody else will interpret. And then it was kind of like one potato, two potato, three potato. Oh my God, I'm out of order. And it must have been 20 seconds, but it seemed like three minutes. Nobody there was willing to give the interpretation. So I'm speaking to the Lord. I'm like, okay, Lord, what do I do now? He said, ask me for the interpretation and I'll give it to you. I said, Lord, okay, I'm asking. He said, start speaking. I said, wait a minute, Lord. I asked you for the interpretation. You're supposed to give it to me. He said, start speaking and I'll give it to you. I thought, what? What? And I finally just said, you know what? What have I got to lose? Nobody's interpreting here. I'm just going to give it my best shot. So I just started speaking. I said, thus says the Lord. And it just seemed like I was picking words out of the air. But after I got those first few words out, all of a sudden I hit stride and I found myself talking to a young lady at this Bible study that was contemplating suicide. And God was saying to her, I love you. I know your pain. You don't have to do away with yourself because I've got a plan for your life and I love you more than you know. And then across the circle, this blonde headed young lady just began to weep and she said, that's me. That's me. And she was ministered to and she did not commit suicide. What would have happened if I hadn't have been obedient to the Lord? I don't know. I shudder to think. But that was my first experience with tongues and interpretation of tongues. And so my personal rule of thumb is this. I won't give a message in tongues unless I'm willing to give the interpretation because there are not that many people that are bold enough to do that. So that's just me. I'm not going to give the tongues unless the Lord, I've just it's something that me and the Lord worked out. Lord, if you want me to give a message in tongues, you got to give me the interpretation. I got to have it in my hip pocket in case somebody doesn't interpret. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. I wasn't planning on sharing that, but I think it was good. Amen. All right.
So what else can we glean from these first five verses in 1 Corinthians 14? Well, one of the most useful things we can learn is this very simple rule of thumb concerning interpretation of tongues. Tongues spoken to God in prayer or in worship, whether privately or corporately, does not need to be interpreted because God understands what you're saying. But tongues spoken to a public assembly has to be, first of all, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it needs to be interpreted by someone. Amen. So there's a type of tongues that does not have to be interpreted, and there's a type of tongues that does have to be interpreted. Amen. All right. Number two things I want you to see about tongues is this. Speaking in tongues is a divine source of communication that makes powerful prayer and communion with the Father possible. Amen. Psalm 42, verse 7, New King James Version. The psalmist says, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. You know, the word there for billows is actually those crasher waves that crash over your head when you're at the beach. Waterfalls is also translated as water spouts. Jesus said in John 7, 37, uh, those that believed in him and were filled with the spirit out of their belly would flow rivers of living water. So many times, even in Old Testament scriptures, you'll find turbulent, moving water as a type of praying in tongues. I believe this is an Old Testament type of New Testament praying in tongues. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. I, I'm wrapped up in your presence because there's water flowing between me and you, Lord. It's the water of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the deepest part of my heart has connected with the deepest part of God's heart. And there's a connection like no other. It's absolutely supernatural. I've been praying in the Spirit 48 years. And I'm telling you, if you want to talk me out of it, take your best shot. Take your best shot. It is a wonderful, wonderful gift. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 14, 14, I'm going to read it in the Amplified. We learn something else about this wonderful gift from the Lord. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays, but my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and helps nobody. This is awesome. Think about this. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. When you pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit hooks up with your spirit and prays prayers that are according to the will of God, according to the Holy Spirit of God. You can't get any better than that. Amen. It says, but my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and helps nobody. I've been praying in tongues long enough to know that it is not a mental thing. It does not come from the mind. It does not come from the brain. It comes from your innermost being. In fact, even at secular universities, they have done studies. They've attached electrodes and monitored brain activity of people that were praying in tongues. And they found out when they prayed in English or whatever their native tongues uh, were, that the speech center was very active. But the minute they slipped into tongues, the speech center went silent. In other words, whatever they were doing, it wasn't coming from their mind. And we know as believers that it's coming from the Spirit. Amen. 
Listen, Oral Roberts also did some research in which they found out that people who pray regularly in the Holy Spirit, pray in tongues, can boost their immune system by up to 40%. They found out that when people pray in tongues, you release endorphins just like when you do vigorous exercise. Not only does the Bible say tongues is a valuable gift, but even science validates it. Amen. Hallelujah. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Tell us more wonderful things about this wonderful gift. Romans 8, 26 in the Amplified Classic Version. In the same way, the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. We do not know what prayer to offer or how to offer it as we should. But the Spirit Himself knows our need and at the right time intercedes on our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. Man, this is powerful. Have you ever been there where you had so many things going on in your life, things were coming at you from every angle, and you didn't even know how to begin to pray? This is when you need to lean on the Holy Spirit. Pray in tongues. Pray in the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit will start praying for you exactly what you need in groanings or sounds or utterances that are not articulated in your native tongue. It's a heavenly language interceding on your behalf. And there's more. Verse 27 says, And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes before God on behalf of God's people in accordance with God's will. How would you like to know that every time you pray, you're praying the perfect will of God for your life? I know of one way to do that. Pray in tongues. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. When you pray in tongues, you're praying the perfect will of God for your life, for the life of your family, for the life of your nation, for the life of the church, for the life of the world. Who knows? You could be praying for somebody halfway around the world that's facing life or death situation. And you won't find out till we get to the other side when they come up to you and say, thank you for praying at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues because a tiger came down the path and he was going to attack me. But all of a sudden he turned around and ran and the angel told me it was because you were praying in tongues halfway around the world. I don't know about you, that gets me excited. These kind of things happen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, another thing I want to touch on real quickly is you can pray out your destiny by praying in other tongues. Proverbs 20, verse 5 in the New King James Version. Proverbs 20, verse 5. This is another Old Testament type of New Testament tongues. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Some translations say it like this. Plans and purposes in the heart of man are like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Now, I believe that the moment you are conceived that God, first of all, puts his spirit to make you a living being in your embryo. But he also plants plans and purposes for your life that as you grow and develop, you become more and more aware of. 
even before you get born again in some situations. But the way that a born again, spirit filled believer can pull on those plans and purposes that are in you is you can pray them out by praying in the Holy Ghost, by praying in tongues. And as you pray them out, they come from your innermost being. They come from your spirit and they migrate to your mind. So you understand the steps that you need to take to fulfill your destiny. I advocate strongly praying out your destiny by praying in the Holy Ghost. I've been doing it all my life. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. There's much more I could say about tongues, but we need to move on to interpretation of tongues, which we've already touched on. But there's a couple of things I want to clarify and and make a note of. First of all, by definition, interpretation of tongues is the ability to give forth an interpretation of a supernatural utterance in tongues. The thing that can trip people up is an interpretation is not a word for word translation. Okay, you might hear a lengthy utterance in tongues, which is followed by a short and concise interpretation. Or conversely, you might hear a short message in tongues and a rather lengthy interpretation. No sweat. Just remember, it's an interpretation, not necessarily a word for word translation. So let's talk about, finally, the definition of the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is a supernatural utterance in a known language, as opposed to tongues, which is a supernatural utterance in unknown language. In its simplest form, it is a word of edification, exhortation, and comfort. 1 Corinthians 14.3, King James Version. All right, the Hebrew word for prophecy means to flow forth. The Greek word for prophecy means to speak for another. So a word of prophecy flows forth from an individual as the Spirit of God moves on them and what they say is representing what God says. Amen? It could be something as simple as this. You could go up to an individual and say, hey, I'm not sure what's going on in your life, but I'm telling you, you're going to make it. God is for you. He is with you. He is in you. It could be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be long and drawn out. What did that do to that person? If they were down, it encouraged them. It exhorted them. It brought comfort to them. That's a word of prophecy. Or you could say to the assembly. When the pastor gives you opportunity, the Lord is saying we should seek him with all of our heart. And if we do, he will reveal all that we need to know in this current season, in this current time. You know, that's very simple, but it is a word of prophecy to the people of God. Amen. People make prophecy a little bit more complicated than it is. There's the simple gift of prophecy, which is edification, exhortation and comfort, as opposed to the ministry of the prophet. Acts chapter 21, verse eight through 11. English Standard Version. Acts 21, verse eight. Through 11, English Standard Version. All right, we're wrapping it up with this. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, 
This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Do you see the difference? The four daughters just prophesied, but Agabus was a prophet. He's speaking to God's number one man on planet Earth at the time. And he's given him future, future events that are about to befall him. Amen. This is the ministry of the prophet. The prophet speaks to the church at large. The prophet speaks to nations. The prophet speaks to the world. And he speaks warning, correction. He speaks good things to come. He speaks judgment. He speaks mercy. Because he's anointed by God to be the prophet of God. And many of the gifts of the spirit that we've talked about in this series are operating in the office of the prophet. Word of wisdom, especially that's knowledge of future events, word of knowledge, uh, knowledge about people's past and what's going on in their life currently. OK, uh, discerning of spirits. All of these things operate consistently in the ministry of the prophet. So if you're not operating in all of those gifts on a consistent basis, you're probably not a prophet. OK, in my own life, increasingly over the past Probably five years I've been delving into the prophetic. God has been showing me prophetic dreams and visions, but I'm not ready to declare myself a prophet just yet. Because I don't believe that's God's best for me right now, but I am going with it and I am learning about the prophetic and I do have prophetic dreams and the Lord will show me things to come many, many times for the church and for the nation. Amen. By the way, you can be a regular old believer and the Bible says, John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. So you, too, can see things coming in the future for your life and maybe your family and maybe the church that you go to. Amen. So everybody understand the difference between simple gift of prophecy. And the ministry of the prophet. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for our series on fruit and gifts. I pray that you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Listen, listen to my heart here. One of the greatest desires of my heart is to see the people of the body of Christ receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and learn to operate in both the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit that we've been talking about in this series. Listen, we have a world to save. And the task at hand is so monumental. It's going to require that the body of Christ operate in a level of power far beyond what we're currently operating in. Amen. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's series, Fruit and Gifts. If this message has blessed you and you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by donating on our website at gofaithlife.com. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you'd like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.